Another day, another way. It's August 31st. Well, it's not August 31st. You know, it's been over a year, and I still get this confused. We are covering the August 31st Digital Bytes. <laughs> and oh, and ironically, we're, 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 we're discussing the future, aren't we? We're not back to the future, we're into the future. Yeah, well, it's, yeah, it's Digital Bytes, August 31st, as you say. So the summer's gone. Um, fall is on its way, or autumn. Um, and uh, welcome to the Digital Bytes Show uh, here, here on Cyber.fm Radio. That's right. And uh, I know fast forward, spoiler alert, our old friend Andy Rosen later on with File Protected. Another, well, he's a Brit living in America. So I don't know what he is. He's sort of a, a sort of a, a I don't know, a, m- maybe he's actually a bit of a nomad. And we've got an article about the sort of digital number nomads. of digital nomads. Nomads. Yeah. People have no fixed abode, although he has been in California for a few years. Um, Did you just call him homeless? Got... Homeless, not a hobo. <laughs> There's a white snake like. song in there. About it. I know it is. Yep. The rise um, of digital nomads and DAOs. DAOs, decentralized autonomous organizations. So, um, yeah, so we'll be looking looking at that. Um, and potentially there's incredible, it could be somewhere between 5 and $10 trillion worth of tax um, by 2035, the digital nomads could be generating, and you can therefore understand why we're seeing a huge increase um, in the number of digital visas. So that's one of the articles. The other articles we've got are blockchain and the real estate, the anticipated future. Um, obviously, real estate, huge um, asset class. According to Savills, the um, realtors and state agents, they reckon it's worth $326 trillion. So we'll be looking at how blockchain can potentially be impacting that sector. And then another huge sector is obviously the insurance industry. And um, we're actually um, looking at how blockchain is impacting that as an industry. And as you say, coming up after the break, we've got a, um, our friend Andy Rosen, who's been on the show before. And we, he's going to be telling us and talking us um, a little bit about why venture capitalists are investing in the metaverse. Um, and, you know, it's interesting because some of the some of the things that he will touch on and he has touched on his article, is looking at, you know, there's a new way of doing business. And that really sort of comes back to the first article and this, this, this concept of digital nomads and, and DAOs. And this was in request, this article came in request from a, from a client that really was saying, well, look, you know, I hear about this concept, but what is a digital nomad and who really cares? Um, which, is, which is fair enough. So we started looking into it. And as I say, it, it, it's estimated um, that there's 35 million digital nomads. And these are people who are typically digitally savvy. They're working on their laptops, could be in a, a local sort of cafe. It could be in internet surfing sort of venue, or it could just be sitting in the library or maybe just working from, from a home somewhere. Um, and uh, in America, they reckon there's 11 million of them with an average age of 32, 61% of them are married but they're earning an incredible $110,000 a year. Um, And not surprisingly, we're seeing now uh, many governments in the last year, we've seen the number of digital visas um, or countries issuing digital digital visas go from 21 in February 2021 to 44 different um, countries. And and what caught our eye was Spain um, here in Europe They've just announced their digital visa and they're saying, well, if you come and work here, we'll cut your income tax 
from 25 to 15 percent tax, 15 percent for the first four years. So I suspect what we're going to see is digital nomads saying, well, OK, so where can I pay least tax now? Oh, well, I'll go to Spain for a couple of years. Oh, and then I'll pop across to Portugal. Oh, and then I'm going to go, um, you know, maybe down to Australia. Oh, and then I'll come back. And all the while, they're sort of living and learning a complete new culture and experience in life. And so you can see why this is attractive. But the question is, well, what's the heck has it got to do with blockchain and digital assets? Well, one of the main reasons is that a lot of these digital assets, sorry, digital nomads are engaged and are working on blockchain projects. And they're using digital assets, digital currencies as their form of payment very often because they they really have no real affiliation to the yen or the dollar or the pound or the euro. And they find it pretty helpful and useful using, um, if you like, a, a, a global currency, James. No, I mean, logically, this kind of makes sense. I was reading before about, was it Thailand? It was like the number two. Yeah, Bangkok yep. is the number two ranked top 10 cities to be a digital nomad. And I thought to myself, ironically, almost as a, a joke, if I had my money in Thailand, I'd be loaded, right? Just, and I'm not, I'm not saying anything disparaging, but no. the the economy there makes it where an American earning a, what we would call a regular, you know, I'm living, I do okay. You know what I mean? You go to Thailand, you're going to give me a tax break on top of how the dollar converts. I'm a king. Why wouldn't I go there? Next well, week's podcast will be from Thailand. <laughs> it could well be you know well that's the thing you know no one really knows where you are or, or what you're doing um in the sense as long as you get the work done people people really don't care the whole concept of you have to go to the office you know five days a week is is just it doesn't really exist anymore um so it's um and it was interesting one of the one of the quotes that um we we actually we reached out to one of the digital nomads who's actually been on this site before do you men remember our man fraser um oh yeah from checked and fraser edwards ceo of a company called checked which is building a digital identity business and he basically saying since i've been a digital nomad the upside is is that i get to enjoy different cultures different cities different food and languages um he's been down in portugal for a while and the, you know so my, my downtime is is enhanced and it's better and it gives me more creativity the, the the only thing I've really got to watch is how good is that internet connection. So I've just got to make sure that, you know, I can get good connect connectivity. Otherwise, you know, you can't really be a digital nomad. You're just a nomad. Kind of like the, um, always wanted to travel the world in a caravan or an RV. Now, now, you can, now you're more of the reason to do it. Yeah. And then the other thing we were looking at was obviously decentralized organizations. And, and there's more and more discussion and, and, and talk about this. Um, and if you look at the um, essentially what these are, these are, are very similar to effectively cooperatives. And we touched a little bit on this um, in last week's show, whereby decentralized organization is an organization that agrees to write down the rules and the regulations and, and what's going to happen and put it into code, and then as events unwind, effectively smart contracts trigger money to be transferred, services to be organized, um, people to be paid. And, and we're seeing 
these organizations don't have the overheads of, if you like, um, boards. They don't have independent people checking and monitoring the governance and what they can and cannot do because the community, very much like a cooperative, you know, we're going to pool our resources. We're going to say this is what we're trying to do. This is how we're going to do it. It's all completely transparent because it has to be because then get put into code. And so therefore the, the profits that get generated from that organization then get shared according to what the community agreed. So with these decentralized organizations, we're, we're, we're beginning to see, you know, an example of this would be something like Uniswap that basically is enabling, um, you know, sort of peer-to-peer um, crypto trading. Um, so that, that's something which has been really, really successful. But the, the trouble is, is that with these decentralized organizations, the regulators, the government, who do they go to in the event there's a problem or a challenge or an issue or something goes wrong? Because these DAOs could be based in another jurisdiction compared to where the misdemeanor has actually happened. And that that's one of the worries and that's one of the challenges that, you know, and this, this comes back to touch on sort of DeFi and what's happening and going on. Because actually, whilst DeFi can take out a lot of costs, who's responsible? And that's why we've seen the regulators struggling to actually regulate um, most of the DeFi platforms to date, James. Sounds a lot like um, almost elastic real estate. Maybe I just invented a word. Elastic real estate. So I'm, I'm an American and I'm in Switzerland, but I'm a DAO. So who are you to tell me what I have to do? Yeah. That's, uh, that's a gray area. Very, right? Yeah. But as the World Economic Forum said, DAOs promised new form of organization structures and collaboration in the digital global space. As significant digital values created through NFTs or the metaverse, DAOs could be the native entity for the value creation in cyberspace. So to put that into sort of more plain, plain speak English, you know, essentially the World Economic Forum is saying this new form of structure, it's not a joint stock company as we would know that are typically, you know, quoted on the major exchanges around the world. These are sort of organizations whereby it's all typically digital run by these digital nomads very often in the metaverse. And again, we, we, we discussed this last week when we were talking about how Ch- uh, Japan with being the third biggest economy in the world with just under 5 trillion a year turnover, you know, McKenzie reckoned that that's what the doubt, the metaverse could be in, um, in by 2030. So if we start seeing more and more money going into the metaverse and more and more DAOs being created, then that's going to present a big challenge to if you like, the regulators and the governments who typically want to know and control and organize and then hold people to account in the event there's there's some, some sort of issue. Makes sense. Yeah. But, but this is all this trend to decentralization in terms of the way we, the way we work and what we're doing. And, and arguably the more authoritarian governments, the less democratic organizations are, are probably going to fight this. Although, you know, with people being able to effectively hide their real location, um, you know, in these more authoritarian governments, the, the citizens will probably want to interact and do business with these DAOs and in the metaverse. And the unless governments put a very, very effective firewall around their citizens and around the country, it's going to be quite difficult for them to control what their citizens are actually doing and not doing um, in the metaverse in the same way they've struggled to control um, access 
to the web as we, as we've seen. Yeah, your your main concern is going to be. I was just thinking about that, like network access. But then you now you're talking about, like you said, an authoritative uh, government. The Great Firewall of China really is the only way to put it. You can't imagine Germany putting up one of those again. No, but then you know perhaps other more authoritarian governments, unlike you know the Germans is a is a is a, is a fairly liberal open society um compared to some of the other societies that, and the governments of ever around the world but the trouble is if you look at the number of democracies in the world they very much are in decline and we're seeing very much more of this um not quite despotic monarchs but you know we are seeing you know what you'd argue sort of um strong men and women who basically are governing their country um in a non-democratic manner um, and and that's that that is a, a rising trend without a doubt. And those types of economies will most certainly rile against having um, their citizens exposed to organisations and structures that they can't control and they can't influence because that that undermines their power base. So de- you know it's definitely a bit of a challenge. But even in the more liberal sort of open markets, um, you know, in, across the US and and, and much of Europe, um, I think there's going to be a, a challenge. To see DAOs, you know, how, how do they really embrace them? But at the same time, you can see, given the potential earning power, you know, you're talking about a billion digital nomads by 2035. Well, a billion digital nomads earning, you know, one hundred ten thousand dollars each. Well, just do the math yourself and assume that the tax take is ten percent. You know, that's ten trillion dollars worth of revenue. So you can see why governments are mindful and looking at. How do we make our country attractive to attract this talent into, um, you know, our, our market as, as as a whole? Yeah, and that might very well end up being healthcare. We'll have to do a healthcare article because so many governments are going the way of, of uh, you know, government funded healthcare, and that that would be a driving factor for me. You know, uh, get free healthcare. Yeah, I'm not going to go to a country that I'm not going to turn down a country that's going to have we'll say top tier free healthcare and you're yeah. going to give me a tax credit. I mean, that's a win. Yeah. So, okay. So also, also this week we've, um, we've got, um, you know, how, how blockchain is impacting sort of the real estate market. And again, you know, as we said at the top of the show that, you know, the real estate market is a, is a massive market at 326 trillion. And, and we're seeing lots of, um, lots of different ways that blockchain technology is being used to help the property market become more efficient, um, take out a lot of the intermediaries. Um, And we've got a number of examples, a number of hyperlinks, as we always do, um, to different legal firms and different examples of how it's being used currently and and cases people are doing it to sort of, um, you know, work on um, improving and taking out some of the costs that are involved in in the real estate business. So that's something which I know we, we've had various people talking about this before, but we've been asked to draw together and show some examples. So so that's what um, you know we, 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 we've been covering in this month, looking at how those platforms and cost reductions will feed through to make, you know, change the status quo that we've seen sort of in the property market since 1910, whereby we've relied on realtors, as you call them in, the US and we call them estate agents who are sort of acting as intermediaries and, and trying to sort of help people ensure that the house they buy is actually owned by the person that's selling it. But 
all of that is all that paper based, um, very bureaucratic systems and procedures. A lot of that can be digitized. And we've, we've spoken before, James, about why can't you have a non-fungible token for your house? And in that non-fungible token, because it's only representing your house, why can't it have information about the land searches and the insurance claims or, um, you know, any any remedial work you've done and the planning permissions? You've got? All that could be on a on a, in a digital file. And then the buyer could come along and get their smart contract and run all the information they're looking for. And if there's anything missing, then, then they get their attorneys and, and realtors to, to, to dig in. But, you know, at the moment we have a situation whereby wait, what, is, what, what percentage uh, if you're buying and selling a house in America, the the cost of that can be as much as, what, 6% on, on a property? Yeah, it's about 6%. And um, also capital gains come into play with real estate. Yep, very much so. Very now, much I, was, so. I was thinking when you first brought it up, though, my head had gone to, uh, we have an issue, I don't know about over on your side, but in the United States, uh, title insurance. We have people that are pulling fast ones on these deed companies and and somehow swiping the deed to your title, the title to your house. And once it's flipped, they're like, sorry, it happened. And I, wow. I can't believe that that's an actual issue where that creates an entire new industry for insurance to protect you from being almost hacked for your title. <laughs> well, you know, that's... um. Well, again, Does that not happen out by you? It's a big, it's a big deal out here. I've not. Uh, I have to be honest. Not, not come across that one. Oh, we have not. a whole market. TV commercials. A part of, um, you know, those digital identity protection companies, and they talk about how they're, there's they're some sort of weird way that they're stealing the title to your house, unless you have their title insurance. Yeah. And I always take a smart contract right then and there. I'm like. This needs to be fixed now. Yeah. Well, there's no reason why that couldn't be incorporated um, and used in a smart contract. But, so, yeah. So, so obviously, when, it, when there's data, when you need transparency and trust, um, you know, although Bitcoin only came out in 2009, it, it took until 2018 where America had its first ever blockchain-based real estate transaction in Vermont. Um, so it, it, it's happening. There's, there's lots of examples of where we're seeing, we, we've we've got examples of exchanges that are actually sort of cropping up where you can start sharing and selling a percentage of your property. You know, people like Archax and Tokeny and ADDX in Singapore and SDX in in a, in um you know in in uh, Switzerland and then TPX who we've had on the show before. So we're seeing more and more the infrastructure is being built and created to enable um, the trading of sort of partial ownership of your property in in the digital environment. Yeah, I think I can count one or two transactions. One was in Florida as well, in the U.S. Yeah. side. Yeah, we've seen a couple now. So we know it works. Yeah, it certainly does. And then finally, um, we've, we've also got an article, which we won't go into huge amount of detail because I know we're struggling for time, but looking at how blockchains are impacting the insurance industry. Um, and again, it's some interesting stats um, from PwC, just in the this specialist area of reinsurance. And they reckon there's a $5 billion opportunity um, for people to actually, um, or, or the reinsurance sector, to, to get engaged with using blockchain technology. I, I thought it was interesting, the numbers, um, that um, it's estimated um, that the cost of the average household in America 
fraud is costing between 400 and 600 dollars a year in additional premiums so anything that can reduce the the fraud will reduce the premiums which is good news for the actual um obviously man and lady in this in in, in taking out the insurance but it also means that insurance companies can offer lower premiums so they can be more competitive so as insurance companies realize the opportunities and how they can actually have more competitively priced policies then they're likely to embrace this technology even more going forward james i hope so i i take big issue with insurance <laughs> in the united states my credit score should not reflect my ability to drive just wild yeah well they seem to come it's, it was always weird yeah we had some insurance recently and um you know by adding someone to your car insurance policy in this country you can sometimes reduce your premium i think how mad is that normally yeah you would people... think you're doubling your chances of an accident yeah. right yeah but that, that's the way it goes unless your credit okay, score is in the 800s we, we we better well, i'm just mindful we've got um well, obviously we've got andy waiting for us um coming up after the break looking at why venture capital is investing in metaverse um and if anyone wants to get a hold of Digital Bytes, all they need to do is just go on to uh, teamblockchain.net, go on the website, and you'll see um, where to go to be able to sign up and get your own weekly copy, but also back issues and some of the podcasts that we've been doing um, together with Cyber.fm. So you can see there, um, as well as going on to the Cyber.fm mobile app, and uh, there's all of uh, James and his colleagues, um, you know, various radio stations, and Team Blockchain has their own list, and we've got Wow, must be over 50 different recordings now we've done, um, which have been played, which you can get access to. So just go along to teamblockchain.net or cyber.fm, and um, you'll be able to sign up and um, have your own weekly copy of Digital Bytes. All right, let's go get Andy. Hey, everybody, Digital Bytes, the podcast at this point. If you're not listening, then you don't hear me right now. However, with that said, it's another weekend, and we have... A very special, Johnny brought my old friend. Just listen, I'll talk about music all day long, talk about the metaverse all day long. It's going to be hard to keep me quiet. But we got Andy Rosen from FileProtected.com, who I know for a fact is doing very special things in media with NFTs. And, and of course, the metaverse just goes hand in hand. And he might very well know why venture capitalists are investing in the metaverse. Johnny, can you uh, have him teach us? I certainly hope so. Thanks, James. And uh, Andy, welcome back to the Digital Bite Show. And um, yeah, you've yeah. written an article about why are the VC venture capital firms, why are they investing in the metaverse? So obviously, what, what grabbed your thoughts and attention? Because we've seen quite a lot of stuff well, in the press recently. Well, I th- well, what's interesting, actually, with NFTs and all that is, is that a lot of people didn't get it, especially the money or the venture capital. A lot of people didn't get it in the beginning, and then they suddenly got it. That's kind of, you know, we've seen that before. We've also seen how fast, um, you know, money pours into these things like, you know, ICOs, NFTs. It's nowadays with the internet, all the hype, all the communities and everything. It's very easy to drum up. And, you know, it's just a lot of action um but what i think the problem is that the money jumps on it too quickly and it doesn't have time to sort of innovate um naturally so if you look at icos which is still a great model it didn't survive because it was just jumped on and sort of abused in my mind before you know people could sort of really play with it and the people that are going to build the web3 the metaverse whatever you want to talk here is not going to be the fangs it's going to be smaller people 
um, that are innovating, that are playing with this stuff, building something, failing. It's just very difficult, I think, for you know things like NFTs, and we've seen this to move so fast as it did with incredible valuations, um, without really looking at all of the problems and sort of allowing it to sort of bubble up from the underground, if you know what I mean. Uh, and yeah. suddenly it has to perform. Um, right. So, so when we're talking about the fangs, this is this new sort of cohort of people, Facebook, Apple, NVIDIA, not everyone will be necessarily familiar with them, Google and Microsoft. And these these are obviously global, highly successful um, companies with very deep pockets. And they've been putting a lot of money into the metaverse recently. There's, um, you know, there's there's articles out there all over the press at the moment talking about um, literally the billions that these companies have been investing. And the, these are household names, some of these companies. Um, you know, people like Alphabet, BlackRock, Morgan Stanley, Samsung, PayPal, Microsoft, Tencent in China, you know, Citibank. So these are companies which we know and, you know, sometimes are using on a sort of a day-to-day basis. Um, and they're going into the metaverse. But what strikes me is, can they continue this command and control structure, I have all the money come back to one central place? Or does the metaverse present a bit of a challenge? Because that seems to be much more open, much more inclusive, and potentially puts the power back into the hands of people like yourself, creatives. You know, you, you've come about this very much from being um, a professional photographer um, that's not worked in big organisations all of your life. You've had some experience there, I know, but but actually your creative skills and you've now got a, if you like, an economy, um, a, a way to market, which doesn't rely on all these other different entities and parties and brokers and agents. Yeah, for sure. I mean, look, I, I come from obviously, as you just said, I was a freelance photographer and then a sort of talent manager. And I think, you know, stepping back, look, I think there's a number of reasons why there's money pouring in. So if you're Microsoft, if you're any of the fangs or any of these big companies, and when you talk about the metaverse, Web3 and blockchain, it's really a huge subject. And it really, you know, people get confused. It's not just all metaverse, whatever that means, or maybe it is, maybe that's just the over word for everything. But I think, what what's missing here is is that um that they have to get involved i mean if you're a big company so you have to have a fund to keep on the cutting edge and blockchain is definitely something you know cryptocurrencies all that so that's one thing then you've got the venture capital that i think and what was interesting in my research was was why so much money is pouring in is that if we're just talking about venture capital they suddenly discovered that if they're investing into sort of tokenized projects, which is basically what the metaverse is you know, supported by, um, that for the first time they have incredible liquidity to get out. Um, and that's been a real incentive that they discovered, meaning that usually they have to wait years, don't they, to go for an IPO or something in order to sort of you know, get their investment back. But if you look at it, they can get involved with these companies. They can liquidate tokens and literally have their cake and eat it, basically. Uh, yeah. Does that make sense? Um, yeah, it does, because some of these companies, what they're doing, they're not only getting equity, they've been given tokens. And these tokens um, are then being traded. So it might be part of using the goods and services that that business has created and developed. And those tokens are going on to exchanges, digital exchanges, um, which as you say, gives them some liquidity um, if they want to come out or actually if they want to put more money in and have a greater exposure as they're seeing success of some of these businesses. 
Um, so it's um, yeah, you know. it's also because it's not regulated. So you know, this is all going on while the regulators are hacking away at this. Uh, these guys are moving pretty fast, and they've already done pretty well. If you think about it, if you look at all the mayhem recently, a lot of the bigger companies have exited. They didn't really lose money. Uh, you could call it, I hate to say it, but it's like inside trading in a sense. They've got a you know a command view of the asset. Uh, and they can get out very quickly. And a lot of them did. Uh, I think that's something to sort of look into. Um, But I think, you know, they haven't done anything wrong because there's no regulation yet. Um, But I think we saw that, I believe, in the 1920s, wasn't it? When there was no regulation or anything, and that sort of ended up, you know, the full market crash. Well, yeah, the great great depression. But but going back to your um, article, um, you you talk about Facebook, or or now called Meta. So here's... It's one of the most valuable companies in the world, renamed itself, um, you know, Meta as in Metaverse. Um, but it's announced that it's doing a 10 billion um, debt instrument. Um, and much of that money is going to be used to build its own presence in the Metaverse. So, you know, just another example that you're illustrating of how some of these companies are spending money and position themselves. So obviously they want to try and take a stake, have some control because they see this as being an attractive space to be in. Yeah, look, I think, look, I think Facebook has to do something, doesn't it, to increase, to keep building what it's building. Uh, Otherwise, it shrinks. Uh, I think personally, and I think their stock price, you know, shows this, that they've jumped in very early. And they're probably looking at now is how they're going to recoup. And then you've got to look at really, it's going to take, you know, it's very difficult to sort of predict. But I sort of think we're looking at, at a decade for this really to take off. Um, and I think things are still coming together. If you think about it, this is the first time that all of these things, AI, um, you know, uh, VR, uh, you know, all of this stuff has like come together now. That's why we're looking at something like the metaverse. But again, it's such early days. Nobody really yeah. can define what the metaverse is. Um, well, so I well, think that, that oh, well, that's really true, Andy, because when you look, you know, one of the um, quotes that you actually put in your article saying, 64% of um, a survey of companies that were interviewed said the metaverse has great potential and we should start preparing for it now, even though full adoption could be years away. So companies are beginning to wake up and say, we know we've got to get involved with this thing. We're not quite sure what, if you like, the metaverse is, but it could actually completely transform and change the way we offer goods and services. So quite a conundrum for, for people to try and exploit. For sure. Look, I think the hardest thing is that they're probably, well, they probably can see happening, but they just don't want to embrace it is, is that whatever the metaverse is, blockchain, you know, um, decentralization, all this is a reversal of the business model that we've all been using since the dawn of man, really. Right. So it's like and it's all down to sort of ownership and control and centralized. And I think that it's for me, I'm not sure how they're going to deal with this because it's sort of very opposite to the structure that they govern under, especially their own financial structure, meaning shareholders. Um, So it's, it's, it totally goes against their business model. So I don't think this is just a technology thing. I think these companies have actually got to look at changing their whole business model and embracing it. It is about community now, you know, the rules that they had. And it's also about, I don't think they can ownership the whole, um, 
interpretation of ownership is going to be challenged. Digital is already doing that. I mean, we're seeing that with NFTs. Like, what are you owning when you buy something digital? But as we move forward, digital ownership will be very different than what we're used to, which is physical ownership, which is, I think, going back to NFTs, what half of the problem has been. It's very difficult for older people to understand digital ownership. Um, yeah, because they're saying, well, I could take a photo of that picture and now I've got a digital ownership because it's on my on my phone in a digital format. And it's but I think yeah, very- exactly, which which is a bad argument because yes. they it totally exposes them missing the point. If you're somebody that has grown up playing, you know, video games or whatever, this is nothing new to them. Uh, they were buying daggers and swapping them and you know, for for a decade now, I would imagine. Yeah. Uh, yeah. and those are NFTs. So I don't know what every you know what I'm saying? Nothing's changed here. Uh, but again, I think that the big change has to be the technology is going to do what it does, right? People innovate. There's plenty of people. As I said, there's millions of small groups, you know, bubbling away that are really doing some great stuff. And, but getting back to, um, you know, Facebook, I don't think they can own the talent like they used to. So they're going off this thing that they can just like a record company, right? Sign up you know, some metaverse designer or whatever and sort of own it because they control the market because the markets or the business models reversed out. They don't have that cloud. So they're finding it very expensive. In fact, from what I've heard from sort of talent, that if you've got anything to do with the metaverse and you can build something, you're getting incredible investment from people like the Fangs, right? Because they're desperate. Um, but and, I don't think they're able... It's almost like going to the beach and trying to grab a, a handful of sand. It, it's it's there. You can touch it. But actually, when you try and control it, it's, it's a it's exact Exactly. Yeah. And it's such a mindset that, that they're stuck in. And I think we're seeing the ramifications. I mean, look, all of these models, copyrights, another issue. It just doesn't mesh. It has to, you, you know, you can't make something that's broken work for something that is still evolving. Yeah. Um, does that make sense? Meaning, yeah, it does. You know, James, all of these... I, know, I know you're ga- gagging there to come in. Any, any... sorry, James. Any I've been. What are your initial but... thoughts, mate? I'm, <laughs> I'm perturbed <laughs> over this article. Uh, you had me at according to CNBC, Meta is considering fees of forty-seven point five percent of the cost of digital assets sold in Horizon Worlds. I will have you know, I am a Horizon Worlds aficionado. <laughs> and that is a disaster. Why? Why would and and this is according to CNBC, right? And not necessarily that of Meta. But why would Meta? I don't would choose my words wisely. Why would they cut their nose in spite of their face if they want people to adopt? Because they've got shareholders and they've realized that they've got a huge problem building and they're trying to fend it off. So they're doing what they do naturally, which thinking that they have the power, which they don't. Right. So they're now this goes realizing against, this goes against everything that has to do. Exactly. Well, okay. It goes against the whole model, doesn't it? It doesn't make sense because they're trying to own something that is a complete reversal of what they do. I mean, if you think about talent, if you just think about the talent business that I know, you know, pretty well. So a talent, you know, used to be dependent on somebody like me. I had a production company. I was a manager, agent, all of it combined. Right. 
And but nowadays, and that was the value that I brought. Nowadays, people control their own PR in a way. They have an Instagram account. They control their own value, their own identity. And that's the problem here. When you look at Facebook, its whole mechanism is about leveraging your identity, right, that you own, but they make money out of it. No? So this whole model, decentralization, blockchain, is the reversal of that. So they don't really talk about how they're going to change, which they should be, right? How they're going to or how they're going to structure a new version called Meta that is going to deal with community in the way that things, you know, are changing. Transparency, all this stuff, fairness. Um, but getting back to your initial question, though, I think that they have a shareholder problem now um, that they have to charge large fees and everyone's charging a lot of money for everything. So I know for, for an example, on fact, not opinion, it is a fact, that we cannot play this podcast inside of Horizon Worlds. And it's not because we don't want to, and it's not because on paper, Meta doesn't want us to, but they have a, a building, a hardware platform charge, like you're saying. They're going to charge 30% of this. You are physically only capable of adding 30 seconds of pure audio into Meta Horizon. In which case, they, I, this, is experience, this is my job. This is my business. We, we have developers that take 30 seconds of audio and then clip another 30 seconds of audio, so on and so forth. Imagine you're, you're in a record business. So imagine sitting in a recording studio and saying, now we have this Digital Bytes podcast with, uh, with Andy Rosen, and it's 12, 13, 15 minutes long. Now we have to break it up into 30-second segments, upload it into Meta's Horizon environment, and stitch it together so it sounds just like this podcast that you're listening to right now. That is not innovation yeah. to me. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. But, 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 yeah, but companies like Facebook don't innovate. People innovate. People with inside it, people they buy. I mean, we've seen this all before. If you look at Skype, right? It revolutionized the whole telephone business. In one fell swoop, if you think about it. That all that VOIP that, you know, was big way before all this internet. Well, not before the internet, but do you know what I mean? It was before all this um, blockchain stuff took over. Um, I guess I'm, just, I'm, I'm in such surprise yeah. about a, a... We're going to start calling it a fang move. Yeah, look, I think they're always going to be there. They're not going to go anywhere. I just think that they're going to have to change their business model, their whole philosophy, and embrace a model that is opposite in in a lot of ways opposite to what they're used to. And that change is probably going to take a lot longer than any of this technical, you know, technology changes. We know technology can move very fast. What isn't moving fast is regulation and, you know, a lot of other things like that, a lot of the control mechanisms um, that are not easy to get rid of or change. I mean... That's... So, Andy, it seems to me that what we've got is, um, once again, you know, big companies trying to sort of, in the nicest way, muscle in on the space and and try and take control by buying out things. And we've seen examples of a number of corporate deals where they're trying to take control. But the reality is, is that it's it's not defined what they're taking control of because their old style businesses of, uh, as you say, of boards and managers and highly paid CEOs and, and, and the like are possibly being replaced by a much more embracing community-led type structure. And that's juxtaposed sure. to what they've been used to. 
For sure. I mean, yeah. look, if you look at DAOs, right, that, you know, where the whole philosophy is letting, you know, a group of people make the decisions, right? Okay. That's totally opposite to how Facebook, Google, or any of these companies are sort of structured. So they can't even fathom how to start a day when they sit down with a group of people that have a right to have an opinion about what they do. And think of the transparency there. If you think about boardrooms, they're like, you know, very controlled environments. Yeah. Yeah. Well, look, great, Andy. Appreciate you coming back on the um, back on the uh, uh, show again. And um, I know you're working on um, some a new release of your of your business later on this year. So I know we'll get you back on to talk a little bit more about that. And James, thanks for everything again this week. And um, we'll be back on the airwaves uh, this time next week with uh, more information looking at sort of blockchain technology and digital assets and how and where and why they're being used. And if anyone would like to get a copy of Andy's article, um, Andy, best place is probably what on LinkedIn. Brilliant. For sure. So Andy Rosen, A-N-D-Y, Rosen, R-O-S-E-N. He's on LinkedIn. Or, of course, you can always contact James at Cyber.fm or myself, Johnny Fry. Um, we're on the web, and you can find us, and we'll happily get you a copy of um, Andy's article over to you. But, James, thanks very much, and we'll be back next week. Brilliant. Thanks a lot, guys. Speak to you again soon. Okay. Thanks, Andy. That was very good. We'll speak soon. Take care.